Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. 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 And I know the Holy Ghost is still moving. But I don't want the Word of God to be an afterthought in the service. I want it to be the key. I want it to be what we're all about. So we're not going to delay any further. We're so thankful today to have Brother Whitley, Brother Nate Whitley and his wife Ashley. Amen. We're so glad to have their daughter Easton with us today. Amen. They are... They are the associate pastors at the First Apostolic Church in Knoxville. Amen. And a lot of accolades that we could and should and will give to Brother Whitley. He has authored four books, all of which are on sale in our bookstore, which is our kiosk out there. That's our bookstore. Um, But he has authored a book on Colossians, a book on Hebrews. Amen. A book on the I Am. Uh, Speaking of the I Am statements. Uh, of Jesus Christ and also a book on spiritual disciplines all of them written very well and uh, will be a great resource to help you in your study of the scriptures and your spiritual walk amen so he is an associate pastor and author four times over an author Uh, as well as that he served uh, for eight years as the secretary of the youth for the uh, ALJC which is the assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ and more than important that to me is he's my friend and the last year, Brother Whitley has become one of my very best friends. We talk on a very regular basis. And I just, I love the way he studies the Word of God and breaks it down. And how many of you were at the marriage retreat this weekend and could say that God blessed us richly through his Word? Brother and Sister Whitley blessed us. And I know that we're in for a great treat. I do want to throw out just kind of a, a little bit of a teaser today. Brother Whitley has agreed that in the months to come on our gym nights uh, for about three months, he is going to zoom in. He's not gonna, he doesn't have a personal jet to fly over here yet. Maybe one day God will bless him at that measure. Maybe we can give an offering today that will get him started. Amen. Even a dollar will start you down that path. Um, but he's going to zoom in and he's going to teach us on how to study the Bible. And I promise you it's going to be a great resource, a great tool. How many of you want to more effectively study the Bible? Amen. The Bible says that we should know how to uh, correctly study the Word. Amen. Uh, a, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed because we know how to study the word, amen? And so we are thankful today to have Brother and Sister Whitley and Easton with us. We want him to come right now, do whatever he feels. If he wants to sing, dance, teach, preach, treat, whatever he wants to do, let's give him a hand clap as he comes. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Oh, come on, somebody. Give him a praise you've yet to give him today. Somebody give him a praise you've yet to give him. Somebody clap your hands louder than you've already clapped. Somebody lift up your voice louder than you've already gave him. Come on, can you do that? The King of Kings is here. Let's honor him with our worship and our praise just for another moment. Father, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. You can be seated. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. It's great to be In Lexington Park, Maryland, this is incredible. This is incredible. From the very moment that we 
stepped into the room today. This has been nothing but first class. The Spirit of the Lord has moved from our first session at 10 o'clock this morning. Your Sunday school classes and the praise and the worship. This is a revival church. You can just tell it's a revival church here at Living Hope. This is incredible. I honor this great church. I honor all of our leadership and all of those who've uh, planned and prepared. And the marriage retreat was incredible in Pennsylvania. And uh, it was just an awesome time. And we were just so honored to be with you this weekend. Glad to have my wife and my little girl, Easton, with us this weekend. I don't get to travel with them often, but this is special. Like, I was like, we're, going, we're all going together. Uh, this is a special place, and we were excited to be here and to come, and so thank you so much. Thank you for the, uh, the, the room and the gift basket, the invitation, the meals. I, if I could just come back to have crab cakes, just invite me over. I'm, I'll be here. I'll drive eight hours for the crab cakes. Oh, my goodness. As you can tell, I like food. It is my love language, and... Uh, they took us and got some real Maryland crab cakes last night. It was awesome. And I want to give honor to your pastor and, and your pastor's wife, brother and sister Staten. Don't you love them? We honor them today. Incredible. Incredible. I told the hyphen class today that I'm glad that God put your pastor in my life over the last year. He has made me better in a year's time. You need people in your life who will make you better, not bitter. You need people who will make you better. And you've got a pastor and a pastor's wife who are visionaries. You could tell right here in this room and how things are functioning and the systems. And this is amazing. And I know it's built on a great foundation and the starting of this church with his father. And this is just amazing. And so we give them honor. We give honor to Brooke and Riley and Cameron and Dakota. These girls can sing. Oh, my goodness. Goodness. And I mean, just incredible. And we're raising a little girl, and I want, I want to raise my daughter like they've raised their daughters. This is incredible. And we honor you for that. We honor your daughters and this great, this great family and all the, all of your leadership. Won't you give all your leadership and the ministry of this church a great big hand? And my wife, my wife is over. She oversees our music at our church, and and there's a lot of work. It's it's not easy, and so I want to give Sister Maddie honor today. Can we give her a great? This is awesome. This is awesome. It's a lot of work that goes into that. And so we honor you. Thank you again to all the leadership, all the ministry, the saints of this church. We honor you today. Can I preach today? Is this okay? Can I preach? I, uh, I want to, I feel like something, I feel like something the Lord has given me. So let's go to Ruth chapter number three. Ruth chapter number three. I'm not sure if your, your tradition is to stand for the reading of the word. You certainly can do that. We're going to go to Ruth chapter number three. And we're going to begin reading at verse number six. And I want to help you today. I want the Word of God to help you. And here's how you can help me is by getting with the Word of the Lord. I think we should worship with the Word. 
I think we should worship with the preaching of the Word of God. Because what we do is we set an atmosphere for people to respond. It gives them, uh, it gives them comfort to be able to respond to the Word of God. And I want to minister to you today. Ruth chapter number 3, beginning at verse number 6. And she went down unto the floor, speaking of Ruth, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight, someone say midnight, that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, if you wake up and there's a stranger in your room, behold, a woman lay at his feet. Jump up. What are you doing here? And that's what he said. He goes, who art thou? Goodness gracious. And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Someone say kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followed not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, for I will do to thee all that thou requirest for all the city of my people. Look at this now. Look what he says to this woman. Thou art a virtuous woman. A virtuous woman. I want to preach just for a little while today. And I'm going to kind of go slow at the beginning and build a foundation. We'll go somewhere and we'll have a good time. But I want to preach to you today on writing the wrongs, the undoing of the dysfunctional family. Righting the wrongs, the undoing of the dysfunctional family. I want you to put your Bibles or your devices down. I want you to just lift up your hands. And I want you to pray, and I want you to pray a prophetic prayer that, God, that you would speak to somebody today. If it's not me, speak to somebody. Father, in the name of Jesus, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I pray now, Father, that your word would go forth as seed and find good ground, that it might bring forth some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. I pray, God, the word of the Lord would be a hammer that would break up the fallow ground of hearts that might need to hear the word of the Lord. I pray that the word of the Lord would be a sword that would pierce and divide and conquer. And I pray that you would help us, God, to be revealed, that the word of God be a mirror, that you reflect within us what you see in us and how you can change us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord? Oh, come on, somebody. Clap your hands unto the Lord if you're thankful for the Word of God today. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. Righting the wrongs, the undoing of the dysfunctional family. The Bible, made up of 66 books, is one cohesive story. It's made up of several stories, but there is one story that ties it all together. Its stories takes place in the scenes of gardens, cities, battlefields, temples, and kingdoms. Myriads of Bible chapters are also made up of genealogies. These genealogies, you've probably read them. You get, if you get to 1 Chronicles in your yearly Bible reading, if you make it past Leviticus, 
you're doing okay. If you make it to First Chronicles, you're in trouble again because you're going to run into genealogies in that book, and he begat this, and he begat that, and there's a thousand of these and a thousand of those, and you're like, oh, my, where are we going, and how can I get there fast? If, if maybe these genealogies in the Scriptures would just take on a more creative form, like maybe God could have just inspired the writers to draw out a, a family tree of some sort. Look, I just see where all of these people go and who, who begat who and where they're all going. If I, can just, if I can just see, if I can visualize these genealogies, and if God would have done that in his sovereignty, oh, those family trees would have looked a lot like our family trees. They'd reveal broken branches, bent limbs, ragged leaves, and there'd be some flourishing fruit there as well. You know, there's an overlooked theme in Scripture, and that is the theme of the family. God puts great emphasis on the family. But what the Bible doesn't do, it does not present the family without its flaws. You want to know why I believe that man alone didn't write the Bible? Because man alone would have left out all of our problems. We wouldn't have talked about all those people who did bad things. We would have presented ourselves as the greatest of things. But God in his sovereignty as the Holy Spirit inspired writers. He said, make sure you add that. Make sure you put that in there. Don't leave out that adultery. Don't leave out that fornication. Don't leave out that murder. And we're like, are you sure? Like... They're going to really think this is bad. And God goes, I can take the bad and make it good. Don't leave it out. I want you to put it's there for a reason. I heard somebody say this one time. Families are like fudge, mostly sweet, but with a few nuts. I heard George Burns say this. Happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. <laughs> Cary Grant said this about the family. Insanity runs in my family. It practically gallops. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> I'm talking about family. Have you ever been to your family reunion? You're like, Lord, get me out of here. Let me get my ham salad, let me get my Mike Sells chips, and let me get on out of here. Y'all don't even know what that means this day. <laughs> families, families. Scripture warns us about fostering dysfunction within one's family. Brothers, hear me right now. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. Dads, husbands. Don't provoke your family towards dysfunction. The Bible begins, as we talked about Friday night and Saturday morning at our marriage retreat, with marriage in the garden. We have a curious wife, a silent husband, and a deceptive serpent. Eve didn't listen to God's command concerning the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Her henpecked husband, Adam, failed to correct his wife and remained silent as they eat their death-inducing newlywed meal. Their failure led to God 
serving them a yellow notice called an eviction from paradise. Eve would have to be subservient to Adam, and Adam would have to be the hard-working husband bringing home the bacon. Unfortunately, things only get worse with this family. They give birth to a son that they think is going to be the redeemer, the serpent crusher. Instead, he is a brother killer. <clears throat> he kills his only brother out of rage and jealousy. Doesn't bring God the correct sacrifice. And you thought your family had trouble. Then we get to Noah and his sons. Noah was a boat-building preacher. He was on a mission from God to save the world. And after the ark settled back on dry ground, Noah planted a grapevine and made himself an intoxicating cocktail. Ended up passed out and naked. <clears throat> Ham, one of Noah's sons, found his father in his dr drunken condition and made fun of the old man. Fortunately, Noah had two other sons who had some respect for their old dad and came in and covered him up without shaming him anymore. When Noah awoke, <coughs> I want you to notice that what he says to Ham, he doesn't curse Ham. He curses Ham's son, Canaan. Because dysfunction doesn't just happen in one generation. It can happen in the next generation. Your mistakes can affect the next generation. Ham's mistake would become his son's curse. Dear Lord, have mercy. Canaan's family tree includes the Canaanites whose abominable behavior brought about further judgment from God. Now let's talk about father of faith. Father Abraham had many sons. How many sons did Father Abraham? I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just, but let's also talk about, we call him the father of faith, but you know what else Abraham is? He's a father of doubt. He's a father who does not believe God's word. It's in your Bible. That he, he doesn't believe that God can give him a son in his old age. And so his old wife said, go have a son with a servant girl. Father Abraham has many sons, and one of them was out of wedlock. <coughs> and you're paying for it at the gas pump. Because it keeps going on. Thank you, Abraham and Sarah. You didn't believe God, and we're all here because of it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? A dad's mistake can be the next generation's. I'm talking about dysfunction today. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about dysfunction today. <clears throat> so when we get to Ruth and Boaz, when we get to this beautiful story where we talk about romance, I have a couple of books on Ruth, and they're called The, the Romance of Redemption. And here is this, the strapping, beautiful Adonis Boaz taking his fair wife. Romance. The Bible doesn't paint that romance that way. And it's not just that God just said, well, let's add a little story about Ruth and Boaz in here. Let's just add this little story here. I think this would be nice fodder for somebody to preach about in Lexington Park, Maryland one of these days. But there's a reason why God put this story where he puts this story. The story of Ruth and Boaz is more than just a love story. The third and fourth chapters 
are not a climax of jubilation, of Naomi's return to Bethlehem. Rather, we are invited into a rendezvous between two potential mates and given a brief overview of a genealogy. That's how the story ends. Boaz and Ruth aren't isolated figures in the biblical narrative. They're people with a complex history, and they're both products of dysfunctional families. Can I tell you about Boaz today? Can I tell you about Ruth? I think we're going to see ourselves in this story a little bit more. Boaz, can I tell you who his mom and dad is? Boaz is the son of Salmon and Rahab. Who's Rahab? Let me tell you about Rahab. If you don't know the story about Rahab, go back to Joshua. It's like, God, why'd you leave that in there? I could have dealt without that. It's still there. His mother is a prostitute, a Gentile prostitute. But yet, by faith, Rahab was a witness For the children of Israel, as they come to conquer Jericho, that's Rahab. Salmon finds Rahab and goes, I kind of like you. Heard you saved our folks. You're a hero. About to go out sometime? What's your number? They marry and they have Boaz. Boaz is also the descendant of Judah. And Tamar. And if you don't know the story of Tamar and Judah, go back to Genesis. And you're probably going, I probably could have dealt without that story too. Because Judah was a son of Jacob. And Judah, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you some, a lot of information right now. We're going to go somewhere because, we're gonna, because I want you to realize that the Bible is one story. And that everything is there for a reason. Paul says this in Romans, that these things were written aforetime that ye might have hope and endurance. Because what we see is that it gives us witness that if they can make it, I can make it. If God can use them, he can use them. (coughs) So let me tell you about, give you some details and we're going to put it all together. Tamar and Judah. Judah has sons. He has two sons. One of his sons by the name of Ur, which is a great name for a child. Ur, okay, sorry. He marries, I'm so sorry. I'm starting to feel at home now. He marries Tamar. He does wickedly, and the Lord kills him. So Judah's other son, Onan, which is another fantastic name, marries Tamar in his place. He does wickedly, God kills him. Two sons dead. Think of that and just keep that in the back of your mind. Put that in your file folder and just remember that because we'll, you'll, you'll understand it later. Two sons die. So Judah goes, eh, that's life. Oh, well, bye, Tamar. Tamar's like, no, I want a son. And so she dresses herself up as a prostitute and deceives Judah to come in unto her, his daughter-in-law, She dresses herself up. He doesn't realize who she is, and he gets his daughter-in-law pregnant. I'm telling you, this is in your Bible. He thinks, oh, well, I paid for a prostitute. I'm gonzo. 
Next thing you know, he hears word that Tamar, his daughter-in-law, is pregnant. He goes, well, who would do something like that? We need to go kill her. That's what he says. Let's get her out. And so he says, take her out into the gates, and we're going to judge her in front of the elders. Remember the word gates. Let's go and let's, let's kill her. And so she comes out at the gates and goes, oh, hi, Judah. Yes, I am pregnant. And the man who owns these keys, that's whose child it is. He goes, well, those are my keys. Oh, no. Oh, don't say. He don't, don't kill her. She's mine. That's fine. Oh, no. That's in your Bible. And so she has a son by the name of Perez. And Perez has children. Guess who comes through that? Salmon, who marries, guess what? A prostitute. Dysfunction finds dysfunction. I'm going somewhere. Now let me tell you about Ruth. Ruth is none the better. She's a Moabite. Let me tell you about a Moabite. Where'd the Moabites come from? Let me just tell you, it's in your Bible. The Moabites come from an incestuous relationship between Lot, the nephew of Abraham. He is in the city called Sodom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going somewhere. God sends angels and tries to get Lot to come out. Fire and brimstone's coming. Judgment's coming. And Lot goes, are you sure? Yes, we're sure. We just came from God. I'm not sure if I want to hear that. Do you have any proof? Proof? We're angels. Isn't that proof enough? Well, you got it. Kind of convincing, all right. He has two daughters in Sodom with him and a wife. And the angels tell him, go tell your two sons-in-law. And guess what his two sons do? They stay and die in Sodom. Remember those two sons. Then his wife, his wonderful wife, they're leaving town. And she looks back and turns into a pillar of salt, dies. So he is left with two daughters. And he says to the angels, there's a little mountain pretty close. I don't want to go too far from all this trouble. I don't know about y'all, but if two angels came to my house and I watched my wife turn into a pillar of salt, I'd say, I am out of here. Get me two tickets to paradise. I'm gone. I'm out of here. But instead, Lot goes, I don't want to go too far. I don't want to go too far. Too many people don't want to go too far from the world. And what you're going to get is curse and dysfunction. And so guess what happens when you don't get too far? He has children with his two daughters. And one of them is Moab. And Moab becomes a cursed people and a thorn in the flesh of God's people. They want him to give the children of Israel later on a drink of water when they're passing through with Moses. God calls Moab my wash pot. That's how much God hates Moab. But yet, that's where Ruth came from. Now, let's move on into the story. Y'all okay? Is this okay? I'm going going slow. I'll end fast, I promise. So, there's a woman in the book of Ruth who's married to a man, and they have, guess how many sons? 
And he gets the bright idea, we're going to take my wife and my two sons into, of all places, Moab, God's wash pot. Brothers, dads, husbands, be careful where you're leading your family. He thought he was going to go there during a drought to get replenishment, and all he got were graves. He dies there, and guess what happens to his two sons after they marry two Moabite women? They both die in Moab. God, the writer, of, the writer of Ruth is wanting you to pick up on these little nuances. He wants you to understand the whole story, what's going on here. And so now when we get back to Bethlehem, Naomi has brought back one of these Moabite girls. Now his, her other daughter-in-law, Orpah, she cries and goes back to Moab. Ruth goes, I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I'm going with you. I'm getting out of Moab. You're my ticket out of here. I'm leaving. And you, Some of you need to make up your mind. I'm getting out of dysfunction. I'm getting out of this trouble. I'm getting out of this problem. Get out. I'm gone. I'm out of here. And you might just be clinging to your destiny. So she goes back to Bethlehem, and when she gets back to Bethlehem, she introduces Moabite Ruth, who's the offspring of a terrible relationship, come from nothing but dysfunction. She introduces her, just happen chance to a man who comes from dysfunction named Boaz. Can I tell you, God is ordering your steps every step of the way. God knows where you are on the map. He sees where you're going. He's going, no, I'm going to direct you this way. I'm going to direct you that way. I'm going to direct her this way. I'm going to direct him this way. And all of a sudden, you think it's by chance, serendipity, and God says, no, it's sovereignty. I'm, I'm in control of all of this. I know where you are. I've got your address. I've, I understand. So here's what we have. I'm going slow, but we're going to end fast, I promise. I want you to notice the similarities in this story as we get to this point. When we get to this point where Ruth and, and Boaz meet, how similar their paths meet, how similar their paths, their upbringing, their families. Lot's two sons-in-law refused to leave Sodom and punished. Judah's two sons, Ur and Onan, wicked and died under God's punishment. Naomi's two sons died in Moab. Noah gets drunk. All of this is in this story. It's dysfunction. It's problems. It's issues. So what will these two people do in this moment? What will Ruth and Boaz do in this moment? Who could blame them? If they fail, who could blame them? They're, they're the product of all of these bad decisions. Who could blame them if they do something in the middle of the night that they'll regret later? Who could blame them? All they've known is trouble. All they've known is dysfunction. All they've known is bad decisions. All they've known, failure, mistakes, problems. Who would blame them if they decide to do something sordid? That's their, that's their entire life. But instead, Boaz looked at Ruth in the middle of the night, and he said, oh, no, 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 no. I've learned from my past. I've learned from my family. No, no, no. You're a virtuous woman. I'm not going to do something that we regret. Come on, you can make up your mind, and I'm going to break. I'm going to break the cycle. We're going to undo. 
We're going to right some wrongs around here. If you believe that, won't you clap your hands? If you're ready to make a change, if you're ready to turn around, ask for me and my. So what could they do? They turn things around. They right the wrongs. Instead of falling into the same sin-ridden cycle their families fell into, they right the wrongs of their past. You can break the change. You could turn it around. If all you know is dysfunction, you can make a decision. I'm leaving it. I'm turning it around. As for me and my, and my family, my house, and my children, I know what my past looks like. I know what my mom did. I know what my granddad did. I know what they did before me. But as for me, we're going to right the wrongs. We're going to undo some dysfunction in our family. We're going to undo some things. We're going to right the wrongs. Can I tell you, previous patterns of behavior can be put right today. The stigma of the past can be removed today. The wrongs of the past can be made right today. He didn't just redeem Ruth. He redeemed her past. Can I tell you, God is not turned off by your past. He's not turned off by your mistakes. Can I, just, can I tell you that somebody in this room today can break the cycle of dysfunction? There are those in the, who are present in this room right now who have had just as dysfunctional, if not worse, families. Absent fathers and abusive mothers. Alcoholic grandfathers and addicted grandmothers. Divorces and separations. Hot-headed husbands and hard-headed wives. Fighting and domestic violence. Abandonment and aloof affection. Adultery and loss of trust. Backsidden siblings. Lazy and lethargic parents. Parents who compete for their children. Can I tell you, you can turn things around today. You can turn things around... Just because they did that doesn't mean that you have to do that. Just because they made those same decisions doesn't mean that you have to make those decisions. Somebody needs to stand up to their feet and say, I'm undoing the dysfunction of my family. It begins with we're starting over today. All things are going to be made new. All things are going to be passed away. Your despicable past and detestable present doesn't have to be your destined future. Too many stay in the cycle of dysfunction. Instead of breaking the cycle, they just go ahead and become apathetic and comfortable. We're used to it. This is how we always done things around here. But you can have a grace-fueled, spirit-led reversal to right the wrongs in your family and in your life. If you believe that, won't you clap your hands unto the Lord? If you believe that he can break it. Come on, does anybody back there believe it? And he can turn it around. He can turn it around. He can use those things for my good. Somebody say amen. Let me tell you about some people who stay in the constant cycle of dysfunction. Number one, the dysfunction magnet. 
You ever seen a magnet? It will find something to get attached to. I've been in, I've been in ministry for a long time as in youth ministry. And you can take a group of young people from one state. They can be in a bus. They can be in a van full of people, okay, over here. And they come to North American Youth Congress, and they all show up, and they're happy and excited. But they got that one kid. That one kid. And then you can have another group from another state in another van or another bus full of kids going to North American Youth Congress. And they pull up and park next to that bus. And they've got that one kid. And they open the doors to the van. And all of a sudden, that one kid from that van goes, I see you. Trouble. And all of a sudden, this guy over here goes, hey, girl, trouble. Never fails. Because dysfunction is always attracted to dysfunction. Who can I get in trouble with? Who can I cause trouble with? Who can we do something around here and get ourselves into some trouble? Never fails. All, just try it. Congress is coming up. Get two vans. All the, they'll, they will, she will get out and go. He gets out and goes, I knew it. I knew you would be here. You come from a broken home. I come from a broken home. Let's cause some trouble together. Never fails. Dysfunction magnet. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Dysfunction. Dysfunction is a magnet. Some attach themselves to those who are so familiar with dysfunction. Instead of raising the standards of their own expectations and what they want in a potential mate, they settle for someone who is fluent in their language of dysfunction. That means I don't have to raise my standard. I can just stay where I am. You're not going to make me better, and I'm definitely not going to make you better. Let's have kids. Right? You know what I'm talking about. This is a recipe for disaster. Rather than attracting more dysfunction, you should raise the standard in your life. Did Ruth and Boaz write the wrongs? Yes. Were they made for each other? Yes. But you can't write the wrongs finding somebody who is always dysfunctional themselves. Raise your standard. Change your attitude. Get it together. Are you hearing me? Right the wrongs, and it begins with you first. I know this is not marriage retreat or family retreat or dating retreat, but I'm telling you the truth. You need to raise your standards in your life. You want to right the wrongs in your life? Find somebody who can make you a better worshiper. Want to raise your standards in your life? Find somebody who's going to make you pray. Find somebody in your life who's going to make you a better person with your finances. Come on, somebody. You don't need to attract more dysfunction in your life and more trouble. You need to raise your standards. Say, we're going to turn things around around here. I know mom, dad did it. I know dad did it. But I'm going to break the cycle around here. I'm tired of it. I'm not doing it any longer. We're turning things around. We're righting the wrongs. We're undoing some. Turn it around. Let me tell you about somebody else. The impatient. The impatient. One who is impatient attempts to right the wrongs, but only with the wrong motives. 
She wants to get out of a bad situation, so she runs off with the first guy who shows her attention. To her, he is the ticket out of a toxic environment. And so in her impatience, she makes another mistake and lands in a situation worse than she left. Y'all don't, don't have this over here in Maryland, do you? It's only in East Tennessee where I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Yeah. Come on, sisters. Just because he slides into those DMs and he looks good in that little circle like that, that little, that little avatar, you better check his, you might want to see what his bank statement might look like. It might be that small too. But he looks good, but he doesn't got any cash. Can he keep a job? Does he tithe? Is he faithful to the house of the Lord? Will he take care of your kids? Come on, we need to right the wrongs around here. Turn things around. Just because he pays you a compliment doesn't mean he's the one for you. Graze your standards up. Have some. Don't be impatient. God will send you somebody. God will bring you somebody. Oh, but Brother Nate, she looks so good. Her hair is long, and her tongue, her tongue is even longer. She's a gossip. She's a nag. She won't keep a job. She won't take care of her family. Brothers, raise your standards and turn that thing around. Is anybody hearing me right now? We've got to go beyond the superficial and start looking for somebody who's going to make us spiritual. God ain't going to send you somebody who's ugly. He's going to send you somebody perfect for you. Come on. Don't be impatient. God will send you somebody on time. There is Being single is not a curse. Being married to the wrong person is. I'm starting to feel my help running around here now. Come on, somebody. I'd rather be single than covenanted with somebody who won't work, who won't worship, who won't serve the Lord. Turn it around. Right the wrongs around here. Woo. Somebody say amen. amen. Ah, the dysfunction magnet. And the impatient, let me tell you about another one. The fixer-upper. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm going to find me a man that I can train. He is not a dog. If you want to train something, get you a Yorkie. But don't you look for a man who you can fix. And brothers, don't you try to find some young lady and say, well, I'm going to raise her up. Brothers, she's got a dad. That's what that's for. She needs, she needs a man in her life. She needs a husband and not. Well, I'm going to fix her up and I'm going to fix. No, brothers, we need the Lord to change hearts and change lives. It's not your job to change them. It's the Spirit's job to change them. Ruth didn't try to make Boaz a Moabite. That's not how mom made pancakes. Well, mom ain't here. And around here, we like Aretha Frankenstein pancakes. Y'all ever had that? We have that in East in East Tennessee. It's the best pancake mix you ever have in your entire life. Well, that's not how mama would do it. 
Well, you're not married to your mama. That's not now dad wouldn't do that. Oh. When we, when we do this, when you come into, let me tell you something. Marriage is not going to fix your spouse. And marriage is not going to fix you. You will never find refuge in another person. You can only find refuge and redemption in Christ. If you want to right the wrongs, get him first. Put him in the center of your life. Christ is the standard. Not somebody on Instagram. The church is the standard. Not the world. Somebody say amen. Oh, Lord, help me right now. Jesus, help me right now. We're talking about righting the wrongs. And there's always somebody who says, right now, Brother Nate, I'm dealing with it right now. What do I do now? Can I tell you, yes, your past is redeemable. But so is your present. Your present is just as redeemable and fixable as your past is. Let me tell you how. Just because your daddy didn't ask for forgiveness doesn't mean that you can't be a better man and seek forgiveness from an estranged child or an estranged wife. Just because your mother never got her act together doesn't mean you can't come to an altar and find redemption. Just because your parents were manipulative and spiteful doesn't mean you have to treat your kids that way. Just because your parents gave you a terrible example of what marriage looks like doesn't mean you have to have a broken marriage yourself. And let me tell you this right now. Just because you had a child out of wedlock doesn't mean you can't have a healthy marriage with great kids. Your past and your present is redeemable. Glory to God. Come on, he can fix it right now. He can give you a new day right now. He can take your past and your present and turn it around right now. Somebody give him a shout of praise. Come on, he can turn it around. It's not over. If you're still here, it's not over. If you're still here, it's not over. There's a new day for you. Somebody say amen. Oh, Jesus. I'm moving quick. I'm moving quick. I'm moving quick. Lord, help me right now. Ruth and Boaz righted the wrongs. They undone years, generations of dysfunction in their families with one decision. He looked at her and said, She's a Moabite. And he says, I know where you're from, but that's not who you are. He said, I know you're a Gentile, cursed people. I'm not looking at your past. I'm looking at your future. And he said, thou art virtuous. God doesn't see you for where you came from. He sees where you're going and says, I can take that. 
I can change that. I can turn that around. He doesn't see you for your past. He sees you about where you're going. And it starts with, thou art a virtuous woman. You might have a checkered past, but you can be a virtuous woman. Come on, you can have a checkered past, but you can be a virtuous man. It's not where you've been, it's where you're going. Someone say amen. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing too quick. Oh, just wait, just almost, almost, just be ready. He looks at her and says, I want to redeem you. I, I, I want to make you mine. Um, but there's just one little problem I've got, Ruth, is that there's somebody in a my family, in Naomi's family, who can redeem you first. We have this, we have this rule in our law that God gave us through Moses that if uh, a man dies, the next person in line in the family can redeem her and her dead husband's stuff. And if that person refuses it, they don't want that, the next person has the opportunity to redeem you and your dead husband stuff. And right now, as much as I want to marry you and redeem you, there's somebody closer. And if I ever get a chance to get talking, we will make sure that things work out for the good. Let's meet in the gates. Who else was in the gates? Judah and Tamar. Lot and his family. We're going to the gates. So he goes to the gates with all the elders, and he goes, there he is. There he is. Hey, guess what? You see Ruth here? Yeah. You know, she came here with Naomi. Uh, she's so pretty. <laughs> she married one of, our, one of our kinsmen, and he died, as you know, there in Moab. And, uh, well, you know, she, you, you could redeem her if you would like. And that guy goes, sure. Sounds like a good idea. And then Boaz goes, oh, there's some fine print to this. Um, you also have to redeem all of her dead husband's belongings. Sounds good. I like to have more stuff. I like to have a boat and fishing rod. I like to have all that stuff. He goes, I thought you would like to have this little bit more fine print here. You also, if you have children with her, you have to raise those children under the name of their dead, her dead husband. And that guy goes, uh, no. He left here and went to Moab. No, he made terrible decisions. I'm not going to put his name on my future kids with her. No way. Absolutely no way, no how. Who's next? And Boaz goes, oh, well. Me. It's me. I'm next. I get to redeem her. I get to redeem her, Ruth. I'm going to redeem you. You are so pretty. I'm so sorry. Jesus, help me right now. I feel so at home. And so, he, and so but there's a little thing that they had to do in the law. Has anybody got a loafer on? Anybody got a loafer? He's got a loafer. Give me a loafer. Elder, give me a loafer. So the, the rule was, the rule, the rule was this, that the man who was the closer redeemer, if he didn't want to redeem her in front of everybody in the gates, 
he would have to take the shoe off that man. Take the shoe off the one who refused her. Who says, no, I don't want her. And so Boaz goes, give me that sandal. Give me, give me them both. He would take that off of his foot. And he would have that and go, will you marry me with this? That's not what he would do. I see I'm so sorry. But it wasn't like a wedding ring. I have no idea where that came from. But if I asked, if I asked Ashley McCool, if I gave her a shoe and said, will you marry me? She'd say, absolutely not. Get her a ring. Put a ring on that thing. I want her. She's mine. He says, here's the shoe. Give me the shoe. Now come. He takes the shoe. And he takes Ruth. And they end up having, listen to me now, I'm going somewhere. They end up having a child together named Obed. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David. You see, there might just be a Messiah anointing in your future. Because David begat Solomon. Solomon had Rehoboam. And the line goes on all the way to the first chapter of Matthew. And Matthew says, let me tell you about the Messiah. Let me tell you who's in the Messiah's family tree. There's a Rahab, and there's a Tamar, and then there's also a Ruth. That's all in the first chapter of Matthew. Because God says, include their names. Include dysfunction. Can I tell you, your Messiah, our Christ, came from a dysfunctional family. And if Jesus can come from a dysfunctional family, what can he do in your family? Stand to your feet. Stand with me. I'm done. So when we get through that genealogy, and there's Jesus. Oh, God, help me right now. There was a man who came before him. Who was his cousin, by the way? His name was John the Baptist. And they said, are you him who has come to redeem Israel? He said, no, but there's one who comes after me, whose shoe we're not worthy to even unloose. You know why? Because he wants the bride. He wants all of her dysfunction. He wants all of her trouble. You're not going to get that shoe. John says it's not mine to take. It's his. And let me tell you when G and he said, oh by the way here he comes. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the entire world. Here he comes. Here he comes now. He's come to redeem you. I wish you'd lift up your hands right now. I wish you'd lift up your hands right now. He's come to right the wrongs of your life. He's come to right the wrongs of your life. Come on. 
He'll turn it around. Is there somebody who says today's the day? Come on, today's the day. We're breaking the cycle. Today's the day. As for me and my house, no longer is there going to be dysfunction. We're going to serve the Lord. Come on. Is there anybody who'll come and say, today's my day? Come on, today's my day. I'm coming out of the grave. Today's the day I'm coming out of the grave. I'm turning things around. Come on. Come on, young lady. He can turn it around. Come on, brother. He can turn it around. He cut out of us. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.